Hello, my name is Philip Mirton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution, to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Today we're going to be talking about Parallel Paths of Healing, a title of which I hope the listener will get as we progress through the show. Now, in many ways, I think we, we seek to understand the world to improve the world, and specifically, that means improving ourselves. And again, when we drill down a little bit, that's, that really means to be healthier, to live longer, to stay younger longer, all these things that we aspire to do that we're on this constant struggle. But if, we're, if, but if we are spiritual creatures, which is a theme we focus on a lot here, then it's pretty clear that the, that the world outside reflects the world inside, and so therefore we should be focused on fixing spirit, healing spirit, and really trying to figure out what that all means, because it's a nice concept, but really bringing it to the front, bringing it into the concrete world is really what uh, we're all about here. Now, today's guest is someone who has sought what I'm going to call parallel paths of healing, and in some cases, we, when we confront a physical ailment, these, we are really tested because we want to be healed, but there's something in the physical body that won't go away. And in many cases, we wind up going down two separate roads, and we may find that the healing that we actually accomplish is greater and has more power than simply healing the physical body. So our today's guest is Sarah Chetkin. She's the author of the new book, The Healing Curve, A Catalyst to Consciousness. Sarah graduated from Skidmore College in 2001 with a BA in Anthropology. She also has a Master of Science in Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine from the New England School of Acupuncture. And she's also a Rohan therapist, something that we're going to be talking about a little bit, and an ordained minister with the Church of Wisdom of Delphi University. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Okay, well, Sarah, uh, it's, it's really, as I was telling you before the show, I really enjoy reading uh, the book of a guest because it helps me uh, understand who you are, and I really thought that you, that your book did proceed on two paths. It, it told your own story, but then it told a greater story. But first of all, you titled the book The Healing Curve, and why is that? Well, it was kind of a play on words for a learning curve, because in my own healing, I've learned so much, not only about what, what healing really is for me personally, and just just going through what it is to actually go through healing, to, to be searching for healing, what it is to have a chronic condition and to live with that, but to find peace with it. So it's really been a, a lifelong learning process. And it, it's probably going to be helpful to set the tone here for you to talk about your, your own physical ailment that 
really sets the tone for your spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. And so there's something, it's, it's called scoliosis. 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 Yes. Scoliosis. And so when were you diagnosed with this? I was diagnosed with scoliosis when I was 15. It's a curvature of the spine, which is another reason why I called it the healing curve. Yes. Yes. Um, and it can lead to deformities, um, immobility, problems with organs, different things. It just depends on the person and how the deformity in the spine progresses. And you can stabilize it and halt progression. Um, you can also reverse it. It just... Like I said, it's it's really about the person and the body, and I mean, healing is really an individual thing, so you can live with it perfectly fine and never reverse it, or you can reverse it, so. Well, I, I saw something that this, that t- something that comes across uh, in your book that I think is, is really sort of insp- inspirational, and that is you took, it seems like you took this condition as a challenge, but you were but you were raised in a unique uh, setting because it seems as if your family or your uh, upbringing has been not uh, Western medicine focused. It seems as if you're, and and you talk about your mother, uh, you know, trying out different alternate healing methods, but was there something different about where you found yourself in your family that caused you to confront this physical condition in a certain way? Well, I was always raised with the idea that you mentioned some of this in your intro, that the world outside of you, and that of course includes your body, is reflective of the world within you. So when you have any problem, any, anything with people around you or within your, within your own physical body, you look and you try to find the root of that emotionally with your belief systems, of course with physical things too, but I mean the emotional and the, the spiritual part of it is equally important. So immediately, as soon as I was diagnosed with this, I mean it was already on the table, well, karmically, what can you do? You know, Rohan therapy, which I know we're going to talk about. I mean, how can you address the root of this from the standpoint of your belief systems and how you created this for yourself? And now a lot of people would see that as blame, but it's not blame. It's it's taking responsibility, which taking responsibility in the sense of doing something about it, you know, not standing back, being passive and, and letting the disease take over your life, but really looking at it, taking responsibility, and seeing how can I respond to this condition. You know, I like to look at these things in a very sort of simple way. If you're trying to distinguish uh, Western medicine from, and I'm going to call it Eastern medicine, and those are generic terms right now, but but there's this concept, I guess it's called oleopathic, mm-hmm. which is another way, I, I think that means from the outer inward and then there is the inner outer which another way to put it is the spiritual presence power controls the outer now so Sarah can you in your own mind distinguish uh, for us how you separate Western medicine from Eastern medicine if there is such a separation well I think of Western medicine is kind of focusing in on the problem 
and addressing that problem and not looking so much at the whole at the whole system at the whole person um i don't i mean i i hope that that's evolving again i hardly ever go to a doctor so i don't know but from the eastern perspective which i do have an education in you take the entire system into account this one health problem is not happening in a vacuum you know it's it's part of a whole array of issues within the body so you really put together an entire picture looking at the at how all of the systems relate to each other every system in the body is functioning within other systems so you want to know you want to understand that entire picture and eastern medicine really puts that at the forefront of diagnosing and i think western medicine tends to just focus more on okay we have a problem with the liver what can we do to address that yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I think this is this is really important. I think for for all of us because the the Western standpoint, and we're not necessarily having a debate right now which is right, which is wrong. It's pretty clear what I think is right and wrong. But from a purely separating the two, from the Western standpoint, it tends to sep- it it tends to separate the the spirit, the will, the desire. From the ailment, and treat and and treat. For example, you said a, you know a liver ailment, mm-hmm. uh, or or even cancer to separate it and and attack the physical deformity or ailment or uh, disarrangement with chemicals or with surgery, as if the human spirit doesn't have any influence on the body. Okay, and right. I th- I think that from from the modern medicine standpoint. You know things like the placebo effect uh, really undercut this whole notion that there is a, and I would call it an absolute barrier between spirit and the body. And specifically, I mean the placebo effect being the the, uh, the research that shows that if a patient believes in a cure, that that belief itself can create positive results and so I think this is important to set the tone here uh, for your own personal journey because one of the things I, I saw as you said I mean you were it seems like you were raised in a family that sort of tilted towards the holistic approach is that correct very strongly okay okay and, and, and very strongly tilted towards that approach yes yeah and, and why is and why is that I don't know. I, that's just the way my mother is, I guess. Uh, oh, yeah. She, her, I don't, I mean, her parents weren't like that, but for some reason, just through life, through experience, through research, that's the approach that she's always taken. And, of course, I grew up in that household, so I was influenced by that in a positive way, and I follow the same path. I see. Okay, so now, now let's let's take. Why don't you take us through your own journey a little bit here? Because one of the things that stuck out to me is there's a line in your book that you say that you um, that intelligently navigating the new age milieu has become a lifelong quest, and discernment is a must because my health is always at stake. And one of one of the things that really comes across in your book is that you have certainly tried a lot of different alternate cures. Right. So why don't so why don't you bring us walk us through a couple of these and because I think the listener might be interested in knowing which ones may have worked which ones didn't and and what the similarity is between some of these so do you what was the 
what was the first step in your journey when you thought that that using this, one of these holistic methods was the way to go? Well, even from an early age, I was exposed to healing that had some kind of phenomena with it. I say phenomena, for example, in Brazil, I, I talk about in the book, getting uh, the psychic surgery, well, there's a phenomena associated with that, with the needles. Um, other phenomena, when people talk about in uh, spiritual, more spiritualist circles, they talk about ectoplasm, or which is an, a whole other thing. But when I was 10 years old, before I even had the diagnosis, I was already getting healings from a man named Mauricio Panacet, who has since passed away. He was Brazilian. I have to say, a lot of phenomena comes out of Brazil, really amazing stuff. He, his thing was that he made light, out of, just out of his body. And it I know it sounds crazy, but um, in, when I've told people in the past, they say, oh, he had a light bulb, or, you know, there was some trick or something. But the thing is, this light, he was at my mother's house, and he was doing work in one of the bedrooms, and she lives on the edge of the woods. And about a mile and a half on the other side of those woods is a restaurant. The people in that restaurant saw the light that night that he was working, flying, flashing through the woods in the summer. Hmm. So you can imagine how bright that light actually was. It would be very difficult to fake that with a light bulb yeah. in a bedroom. Yeah. So from early on, I was, I was exposed to these really amazing people and these, these amazing healers. So it was only natural when I received this diagnosis that I would go looking in that same direction. And I have to credit my mom. She has an amazing ability at finding these healers. <laughs> I don't know how she does it. And I, I really owe her a lot for that, but um, one of the first things we did was, like I said, go to Brazil. We did the psychic surgery with Dr. Geddes, was his name. He would take these long needles, maybe the width of a pencil, and insert them into patients, and this would heal chronic pain, it healed um, cataracts, I mean, just the whole gambit, high blood pressure, anything. I mean, people would come with all kinds of ailments. And I talk about in the book, too, how incredible the the feeling in the room was when these things were going on. I mean, the, the devotion that people would bring to these centers, sitting there watching these healings, I mean, praying for healing for everyone in the room. And, I mean, just, just, that, just that focus and that intention, all of those people getting together and, and meditating or praying for healing was in itself a huge healing. I mean, that shifts something in you. That, that brings courage and and the desire to keep going and to keep walking this path. Well, I think that something powerful here that we haven't quite understood, mm -hmm. although I think we're getting there, and that is, in, in my opinion, healing is really not a solo journey. It can be, and, it, and there is some, and, then, and there might be some benefit, but if what we know about spirituality is true, in the words of Hillary Clinton, it would take a village. It takes a village to do it right. And so that, that's one thing that I really thought was sort of very uh, in interesting about Brazil when you talked about it, because the people down there seem like they're much more open-minded Right. A lot more open-minded, like light years more open-minded. <laughs> uh, Things like that, indeed. indeed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so you you called. I mean, you you have some criticism for the Western mindset. I think you called it uh, too principled, or, or how, how would you? What what is the problem with our American mindset with some of this stuff? Well, that was in uh, 
when I was in New Zealand, it's actually completely unrelated to phenomena, but I was I was looking at the community that I was had the chance to be a part of for that month, and we were doing a ceremony on a hill, and the women had to stand in the in the center of the circle representing, you know, the home and, and the family and everything, and the men, and they faced inward, and the men stood on the outside facing outward, you know, representing male energy being more out and manifest in the world. And at the time, I was in my early 20s and really, you know, a lot of women's studies and feminist classes. So being there, I thought it was confronting for me for a minute. You know, I thought, wow, I mean, this is so beautiful and, and so incredible, but I'm so American. I just associated it with being American in my thinking that I, it's hard for me to be here and, and let go of those judgments about women being in the center in the home, you know. And, and of course, since then, I've realized that I can apply that to anything. I mean, any principle that you have, any strong belief or conviction, it eventually becomes a box, you know, and, and you miss so much. You miss so many things in life because of that box, whatever it may be. You know, there's a quote, I don't know who said it, but um, convictions make convicts, you know. You, you, the strongest conviction can become a prison for you, and, yeah. and that's a shame because you want to experience every bit of life. I mean, I want to experience everything, whether it suits my feminist needs or not. You know, I I just think it's important to be open to everything. So that's what that quote, that comment was about. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking with Sarah Chetkin, the author of the new book, The Healing Curve, A Catalyst to Consciousness. It's about her own journey in finding a way to heal not only her spirit but uh, the diagnosis of a curved spine she had when young and it's really an amazing it's really an amazing story because it's real and I think that there that's where we get a lot of of not only power but we get a lot of truth when somebody like you writes writes their own story and I I think that we are getting to something here which is really important and you talk about these convictions these boxes and it's this is related to the other concept about how we tend to uh, we we tend to draw our own uh, story or or write our own stories and we determine who we are by our beliefs and our thoughts and, and as you say our convictions and a lot of life is breaking ourselves out of these boxes and frankly some people never do it and with regard to healing I think that we are so accustomed in this country to sort of crystallizing a physical ailment and putting it outside of us uh, and thinking that well this thing is true it's never going to be fixed whether it's whether it's uh, you know a curved spine or whether it's cancer or whether it's uh, some other disease and but that itself to me is a conviction and it's something that's really hard to break down because it's so deeply rooted in our consciousness you know, I mean, I don't know if that if 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 you go there, but but I I like taking the unlimited view where anything is possible, anything could be broken down, and I take it that that's something that you've you have you have experience with in terms of actually dealing with those doubts. I do believe that anything is possible, and 
I also have the idea, and I talk about this in the book too, that at some point when you're on these paths and you're, you're seeking healing and you're constantly going within, going within, you start to recognize that even the idea of wanting healing, though, that can also be a box. You know, you, you, your goal is healing, and you put everything, all of your energy towards that. But even that, I mean, any goal creates uh, a single-pointedness in the sense that you are only watching that goal. You know, you're looking at that goal, and you move along your narrow line towards that goal. Well, healing is another goal, but unfortunately, when you do that, when you zero in on it, you're missing all of the things happening to keep with the metaphor to either side of that line. So right now, I'm really working with the idea that I have to even let go of the desire for healing. You know, everything has to be open. You have to allow for everything. And the only thing that you can really have any control over is, is your internal environment. Like you said, you... You have to cultivate a sense of peace within yourself so that no matter what the prognosis, no matter what the diagnosis is, you can move through it peacefully. You know, that's really the goal, isn't it, in life? I mean, no matter what comes our way, we want to maintain our sense of peace, uh, a sense of joy, even as we're experiencing grief or anger or sadness, that we know that underneath all of that, the bedrock is, is peace of mind. You know, that's where we want to that's that's what we want to build in our lives at least that's what I want to build in my life and yes I mean healing is coming I mean every day I I feel better I notice things about my body that are shifting and it's wonderful but it happens more and more the more I let go of it the more I allow my whatever you want to call it your higher self a divine intelligence infinite intelligence God even I mean allowing that energy to work through me that is to me is is so much bigger than just seeking the physical healing yeah and that's why and that's the two parallel paths of healing that i was referring to because it's very similar to a theme that comes up a lot uh in this field and i'm calling it the open-minded field right now but Mm -hmm. it's it's separating what some people would call the ego from the the big purpose or the way and we're always fighting that because when in your particular situation where you have a serious physical ailment and most people would be focused on it and you did something courageous which was to take it head on and it wasn't easy and you went through a lot of trial and tribulations and for all I know you still are but but at the end of the day it still becomes a individual focus and it's some, and it still is a individual battle when, when, when falling into the flow of things, uh, attaching yourself to the way, whatever that is, is is really a lot is really the way to go. And frankly, that's the big challenge I think because all of us are faced with our individual um, desires, and it's it's there is a higher level of consciousness I think where you start plugging yourself into maybe what I would call the universal mind or the way. And frankly, I think that's what all spirituality is about. It's about connecting that. Uh, and so it, it, I hopefully it, it works with, with the healing side of things because there's power 
you know there there's power in connecting with the with the with the uh the, with the big spear with the big mind um but getting back to your particular situation have you seen real po- real effects in your own um in, in with your spine with your body throughout the course of your healing journey yes definitely definitely i my my body used to be much more i mean i'd have all these tilted you know my shoulders were uneven my hips were uneven my shoulder blades stuck out in funny ways and my head was tilted on my neck and all of that has shifted dramatically so and and i don't have the kind of pain that i used to have you know i can take care of it if my back is sore i i can do yoga or qigong or even just meditation and it fades so i mean, Yes, I've seen a huge difference in my back. Well, and, and I still I th- have the curve, but my body itself is really coming into balance. And that's, as I'm told with scoliosis, that's the way it goes, that your, your musculature finds balance again, and then the spine kind of follows suit. Have you so been to, have you been to, I take it you've had a lot of x-rays done. I mean, ha- yes, have, I have there been... Uh, what has been the reaction of the medical profession? I mean, I, to your healing journey I mean do they say is this a do they just say well some people this happens or is there a sort of a recognition that indeed some of these holistic methods have actually worked well I have a really unique um, journey in the sense that I've never been to a doctor about it so I've been to chiropractors and and other um, body workers but I've just pretty much avoided doctors and so I don't have any, I mean, they haven't, um, I mean, they haven't had the opportunity to look at me and, and to see my journey. So I can't really answer that question. Yeah, but the, but, but the fact of the matter is, is that the x-rays are showing an improvement in your, in your uh, bone structure. Right? Yeah, well, that's slight. The, the, the improvement in the spine itself is minor, but my chiropractor in Key West, and I mentioned this in the book too, that um, after I had my son, I went down to see her to, you know, to get an x-ray to see how my back had done during the pregnancy, and, and she did see improvement, and she was really happy. She said, usually, you know, I expect maybe people will stay the same, but you've actually improved, and that's really wonderful. And um, Gettys in Brazil told me that as I started to have babies, I would start to see dramatic improvements in my spine. So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful in that perspective, but anyone I've ever been to has always been extremely encouraging, really positive, and I've always taken that to heart. Well, I think that at at the end of the day, it's a lot better to me going down the holistic route because the fact of the matter is is that uh, I'm not sure what modern medicine would do about a curved spine. I mean, I don't even know if there's an operation. And, oh, there is. There's and, a, quite a severe operation. Yeah. It's called a Harrington rod. Yeah. And um, they fuse your spine to this rod. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't know much about it, so I don't want to speak too much of it on it. But I've seen people um, with the Harrington rod who are older than me, quite a bit older than me, and they still uh, have some deformity. They still have the same problems of scoliosis. So I don't know how effective it is. Again, that's totally they're just a few people it's i I'm, of course i haven't read any studies i don't know i can't speak to it but for myself it just didn't seem like the right decision well it's a pretty dramatic surgery and you don't you lose a lot of mobility so well i think that that is really that is really 
the problem, and that uh, highlights this distinction that we're making between the, the spiritual body and the material body. And my own view is that is that the material body is an is a, an assumption that is really not true to think that the body is a machine. It's, it's not true, and when we do surgery on things like the spine and fuse the spine to rods, we are treating it as if it's a carburetor or something that has to be, you know, greased and oiled and manipulated, and, you know, I'm a much bigger fan of the holistic part of it, but, but I, I think, Sarah, that what, we, what the problem we have in our country uh, as, as compared to places like Brazil and maybe New Zealand and maybe even Spain is that there is a resistance. We don't have the same uh, milieu, as you put it, where, it where, we're, where we're overcoming. We have to overcome these doubts and convince people that this makes sense as opposed to it being more accepted and more, more of the way to go. And I, I don't know. I mean, for example, do you, do you think that the healing methods seem to work better in Brazil than they would work here? Um, I don't know. I mean, what you're saying is is interesting, but I, I have to say from my own experience, in terms of this very kind of out there phenomena healing, you know, with the psychic surgery and the lights and these kinds of things, indeed, I, I don't see that too much in America. I mean, I, I do see people who are very open to it, and I mean, I know plenty of people who go to John of God regularly in Brazil. He's another psychic surgeon. Um, but in terms of uh, alternative medicine, it's, a, it's huge in America. I mean, I think we have access to so many different alternatives. I mean, acupuncture, naturopathic medicine, massage therapy, um, Every, I mean, there's just herbalists. There's a huge list. Chiropractors. Chiropractors are so mainstream now, you know, they, they're hardly considered alternative. And uh, I haven't noticed that so much in Europe. There is a little bit. They do osteopathy and homeopathy. But I think we have a really strong presence of that here in America, and I think that a lot of people are really shifting towards that because you know, they see the benefits of it. They see the benefit of treating the whole body and kind of forgetting the model that the body is a machine, like you said, and, and you, you know, you do this, you do that, you feed it the right things and give it the right drugs and it'll go well. Well, no, I mean, sometimes it doesn't go well. So what do you do with that? Yeah, it is, it is really encouraging that there is this, this slow transformation occurring, and I am hopeful that it will, that this approach which is considering the whole body and considering the power of the inner spirituality, the inner will, as being a force in the healing process, that this will become more integrated into our medical schools because it really, it really is uh, the wave of the future. And those who deal in such things as quantum theory you know, there's books on quantum healing and the quantum body and the holographic body, uh, you know, it, or the and, and energy, and we're all energy. I mean, all these things are basically saying the same thing. They're putting the notion that we are spiritual creatures in different words, and it's but but it's not it's not an easy thing to do because it takes time. Right, and I, I'm, I'm hopeful that science, particularly seems like the field of physics, 
looks a lot at energy and, and how energy affects plants or, you know, each other. And I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that science kind of catches up in that perspective, really seeing the body as more than just a, a system of mechanics. And that from there, maybe doctors will begin to embrace that. Because at this point, when they see something that's kind of out of their field, you know, when they see that it's working, they call it a coincidence, you know. And I think that's so unfortunate. I think if, if medical doctors could embrace some of these alternative healings into their own practices, it would be amazing. And it would benefit them too, you know. I, I don't know why there's this strong push against any kind of alternative in the medical field. To my, I mean, in, in my belief system, if things are helping people, then you would want to do the studies to to see how, you know, to see how effective it really is. I mean, instead of saying, well, there are no studies, why not do those studies? I mean, if you have patients coming regularly saying, I, I did, I used essential oils and it healed my, you know, my diabetic sore. I, I mean, I've seen that. He's, you know, I, I went to an acupuncturist and my back pain is gone. I mean, why not fund those studies? Yeah, that's, yes. And that's my hope. Yes, yes. And I and I do think that hopefully nothing beats success or successful experiment and the to me the problem is is that science does not yet have a theory to explain the interaction between the mind and the body or the mind and the world. But that is that is being torn down a little bit. I mean, last week uh, I had a professor of neuro, of neuroscience from Texas A and M on the show, and he is somewhat Professor Clem. He was somewhat of of a mainstream uh, neuroscientist, but on the other hand, he has a modified theory of the brain, where the brain and the mind are really the same thing, and he does that in order to help explain things like this where the will if it's part of the brain can influence the body now I don't think that's far enough for me but mm -hmm. on the other hand the problem that we're having is the same thing with the paranormal the same thing with mind over matter clairvoyance telepathy all those things right. is that science cannot detect uh, a force uh, going between two minds and therefore believe it doesn't exist. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Sarah Chetkin, the author of the new book, The Healing Curve, A Catalyst to Consciousness, and we're exploring some of these new and more open-minded, holistic, spiritual healing methods and how uh, Sarah uh, went on her own journey to find a way to deal with a curved spine uh, condition and really, I think, went way beyond uh, dealing with this, with, with just the curved spine. Now, I want to talk to you about, now you are a uh, Rohan specialist. What is Rohan? Rohan is a form of healing that helps you to look at these, like we were speaking of, belief systems that create your life. You, in Rohan, you're able to look back into your past and see how it is that you actually developed these belief systems. I mean, we make, the idea is that through your life you're having different experiences and from those experiences you're making decisions about who you are and what your place is in the world. And of course from there you create your whole life, you make choices based on that belief. 
And sometimes those choices are not helpful to put you on a positive path. So in Rohan, you're able to go back, find the root of those belief systems, and see that, you know, it, it was just one experience. It doesn't say anything about your true self and your true place in the world. And from there, you're able to let go of those belief systems and create new ones, more positive beliefs, and therefore make different choices. It's very simple, but it's so profound. So, so, so tell me, so how does like a example session, and you are a Rohan therapist, so, so I take it you ask the, the quote-unquote patient a bunch of questions, but what, what, are, what are some of the basic procedures or questions that you, that you um, pose to a patient to get this going? I mean, how do you, how do, you do it? Well, the first thing is to have the patient focus on an area of the body, say. Okay. In Rohan, um, a lot of times it's, it's with the chakras. So say you begin at the root, and you just have the patient bring their awareness to that space, to the root chakra. And from there you say, you just start dialoguing, you know, what are you feeling there? And maybe they'll say, well, it's very dark, or I, I feel like I'm alone, I'm standing in this room. And, I mean, it's amazing the images that come up, because... The client is in a meditative state, and of course, as therapists, we're trained to create a safe space of non-judgment where the, where the client is free to explore all of these feelings. So when they come up with an image or feeling, you begin to process that. You know, how, how long have you had this feeling? Um, how does it affect your life? How do you see it playing out in your life, this, this feeling? And then you ask, when was the first time that you had this thought or feeling? And, of course, they always flip back to something in the past. I was six years old, and, you know, something happened, and, and I was afraid. And when they, when they bring that up, you say, okay, let's go to that six-year-old. And you have them look at the six-year-old, look a six-year-old in the eye and see what is the decision-making process of this little girl. I mean, how, how is she feeling? What is she thinking? You know, what decisions did she make as a result of these experiences? And it doesn't have to be something traumatic. It can be something very simple, but in a young mind, it's interpreted in a traumatic way. So you, you, you talk to the six-year-old, and, and you, you begin to understand through this dialogue, basically, that you're having with yourself, that the decisions made were erroneous. They, they aren't founded in any truth, you know? They're just a misunderstanding, or, or maybe the decisions she made about herself are not real, you know, decisions like she's not worthy, she doesn't deserve love, or she'll always be alone, things like that. And you heal that through that dialogue. Yeah, and when the when the client recognizes what this is what this thought or what this belief system has has done to them and, and done to their lives, it's it's amazing how quickly the healing happens. You know, it's not it's uh there's not a formula there because as soon as you see in yourself, wow, I mean, I've, I've been punishing myself for a decade or, you know, 30 years because of this one experience and I've carried it with me this whole time. When you see that and, and you, you don't put any blinders on, the healing happens right away. The therapist doesn't have to do anything at that point. I mean, the client is crying and, and feeling a reunion with themselves. So, I mean, that to me is the best part of uh, of Rohan. It's just the healing becomes automatically. And, but and, and it's based upon, you said, the chakras? Yeah, well, that's, yeah. I mean, they, they use the chakras as just a, a focal point 
for the client. And and for those who don't know what a chakra is, why don't you why don't you briefly explain the chakras? We've had other guests uh, talk about them, but perhaps but it might help if you just sort of uh, summarize them, Sarah. Sure, they're energy centers, and they go from the root, the perineum, the belly. There are seven of them, so you just kind of go up the body, and each one represents a different aspect of self. For example, the root is all about survival and you know, your, the things you need, food, basics, you know, food, shelter, that kind of stuff, the, the real basics of survival. The second chakra is emotional. The third chakra is mental. The fourth is the heart, which, of course, is love and, and uh, acceptance. The throat is expression. The brow is um, vision and third eye, intuition, that kind of thing. And then, of course, the crown is the connection to your higher self or the divine. And I think what's really helpful here is that in the Western scientific tradition, mm-hmm. what we're really doing is experimenting with a different model. And I, I really think that this blockage um, approach is, is, extru- is, really, is really important and is right on point to a lot of the ailments that we have as people and as a, as a society. And I go back to, I mean, I, I'm, I'm lucky because I, I have a degree in philosophy and I read a lot of those guys seriously when I was young. And you start and you, and you separate uh, truth from opinion. And the fact of the matter is there's not a whole lot of things that are absolutely true. And uh, Descartes, who is the I think, therefore I am guy, you know, he really was the one that came to the only indubitable truth, and that is, I think, therefore I am. There is no other, um, to me, absolute truth that that inhibits uh, what we can be. So if you have these blockages, and a lot of them are, you know, childhood blockages, you know, I can never, I can never... Uh, do better. I can never write a paper. I can never write a book. I can never sing. I can never play the piano. I mean, all these, and those are simple examples, but you sort of convince yourself of all these I can'ts and all these beliefs, and they wind up inhibiting who we can be. And, you know, this, that's exactly sort of the way I look at things. I didn't, I've not looked at them in the chakra standpoint because it's not something that I have. Uh, focused on, but I do see there being a lot of value there because let's face it, if we are spiritual creatures and if the inner does control the outer, then it's going to do us good to sort of let let loose. Uh, and and that I think you use I think you you use the word release the concept of release in your book about uh, it's important to release who we are is that is that what you're getting at well i think um i agree with you that truth is is really can be a trap because you agree on a truth you decide on a truth and then like i've said before with anything i mean you 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 live your life according to this belief system this belief but really you know, someone down the street can have the exact opposite belief and have all kinds of proof that it proof in their own lives that it's that it's real and that's what works for them. I think the only way to really 
reach a deeper understanding is through experience. And I just, I think experience is the best teacher. You know, no matter what you believe, it doesn't have the same profound effect on your life as experience does. When you really experience, I don't want to use the word truth now, but when you really experience an idea or or a spiritual teaching for yourself, you know, it brings such profound change into your life. You don't even care about truth anymore. It's it's really just I've experienced this for myself and that's what I know. You know, and from there you move forward. So yeah, I try to stay away from ideas that are so uh, stagnant so written in stone. Well I think and that even, even yeah. the sense of the meaning of life, you know, what well what's the meaning of life? Well to me I, I tend to go towards there is no meaning in life. And I don't mean that in a in a pessimistic way. I mean there's no meaning, you know, you, you're free, you can do what you want, you're here, if, there's, if you have any, if you want to have any meaning in your life, let it be to know yourself, you know, let it be to go within, let it be to find your spiritual path, to, to move forward with that, you know, don't, don't create meaning outside of yourself, let yourself, let you, you are the meaning of your life. Well, first of all, uh, there is a, there to me there is a transformation that occurs down this road and we have alluded to it and so I'm not going to beat around the bush because um, that's what I'm tr I, I try to do on the show is get to the point here with some of these big ideas and we talked about uh, recognizing that perhaps the inner controls the outer the spirit controls the outer world we are spiritual creatures we need to master the inside we need to release the energy and all and however you however you put it but I do think Sarah that that can be recognized as a truth I think that through experience through things such as personal healing and societal healing if we see that indeed our personal bodies and our world becomes better because of this, and it's real in front of us. The, the guy in Brazil who's got the light, the, uh, the, these, these yoga masters that do these phenomenal things, mm -hmm. the, the, the cures that actually happen, it becomes true, and, that, and now you start having this transformation because it built to me it builds upon itself it's sort of becoming more confident you you finally realize that there is truth to this whole idea it's not just some kind of wild new age thought uh, in the spiritual bookstore somewhere or in these retreats it becomes more ingrained in our society this is Philip Meriton this is conversations beyond science and religion we're speaking with Sarah Chekin the author of the healing curve about uh, the transformation that she went under to find uh, a way to to cure and address a serious physical ailment and her own transformation. Now, I now we just got done talking about the meaning of life, which is one of my favorite topics. I noticed I noticed in your book, you you say that the whole purpose of life is awakening, and you are designed for that purpose. So what do you mean by that? The whole purpose of life is awakening. I mean awakening to your true nature and awakening to the understanding that 
these personas we have, you know, I'm Sarah, I wrote this book, I'm, I have scoliosis, I, I like coffee, you know, these personalities that we identify so strongly with, that that is not the full picture. You know, that's, that's one little piece of the puzzle. And to me, awakening is shifting your perspective away from that strong identity. And when you do that, I mean, the only other place to go is towards the infinite, towards the, you can say divine, or I don't remember what you, universal mind. Right. Is the, is the term that you use. Right. Only that or ego, you know, those are, those are the two perspectives you can have. And more often than not, we're so intently focused on the ego, you know, our, our lives, our personalities, our families, everything, but there's so, so much more. So when you awaken, it's really just a shift in perspective like, to, to loosen that identity a little bit, to loosen that grip we have on those personalities and come to this other understanding. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, another, way I th it's another way of saying that you awaken to the realization that you're part of a greater whole. And right. there is, there's, there's so many different ways to put it. And again, maybe I am too um, focused on this, but because I read too many science books, mm -hmm. but to the modern scientists, this is, um, this is sort of hogwash because they view folks like Richard Dawkins would say as ro as robot vehicles and this whole notion of awakening is not something that even has any currency any meaning in modern science and what i'm saying is that that standpoint that we are robot vehicles that there's no meaning in awakening is the same standpoint that says we're machines it's the same standpoint that ignores the value of holistic medicine holistic healing and I think that's a standpoint that is on the way out the door hopefully it, it, it in our <laughs> life in our lifetimes at least it, it all works together now at the end of your book you do some you know it's you have a short section where you sort of help the, the reader uh, gain some of the insights that you've collected and I like you to do that now I like you you know you've been through a lot and you've been through this long journey and you've had a lot of experiences and and what what are some of the key sort of lessons that you've learned in your journey that the listener might benefit from? Sure. I mean, the one, probably one of the most important is going within. And I know that means a lot of different things to a lot of people. For me, it just means getting to know your your faulty thoughts, your your pitfalls, you know, where are you where are you diving into these negative belief systems and creating a whole life around that really understanding your fears your anger you know if you don't understand it you'll never get through it i mean understanding is the first step in healing those things so for me going within and taking an honest look at your belief systems is so important and in order to do that you have to have some stillness in your life you have to have moments of profound quiet and of course in our modern daily lives that's not easy but I've tried to do it in small ways you know uh, not choosing to go out to the movies when I have a free moment or going to a club or you know not having the TV on 24-7 or just 
meditating, you know, doing yoga. I mean, anything that you can do to just slow down. When you slow down and you create that stillness in your life, your unconscious, your subconscious has a chance to bubble up and, and show itself to you. And that that whisper, you know, it's really like a whisper in a rock concert. If you're you're just living your life on your phone all day and busy, 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 you'll never hear it. If you find some time to be really still and quiet, you will hear it. And sometimes it comes in messages that aren't pleasant, you know, anxiety, worries, fear. But if you allow, and that's the third thing, if you allow these emotions to come up, they pass. You see, they they come up, they're intense, and then they go away because emotions are always moving. They don't they don't stay with you. You're not your emotions. And if you practice these three ideas, going within, creating stillness, and allowing you start to see big transformations in yourself and consequently in your life. Yeah, so those I, are my three pillars. Yeah, that's good. I, I don't think there's any way to get around that. And there's and that is this this notion of hitting the pause button and just being quiet. We had a guest on us a couple months ago, Dina Proctor, who has this method of three times a day she does three minute meditations. Mm-hmm. which which I thought was sort of the modern era way to meditate because right. because most of us have compressed our calendars to such a degree that we don't have time to be sitting around for an hour under 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 a tree or something and the 3 minutes is, was really appealing but you know it could be done faster than that and we it's it's so important I mean it's sort of like the faster things move the more it's important to slow down as well and this is not something that, you know, is just sort of a new age sort of good idea or, you know, some kind of uh, happy talk. The, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, if you don't take some time out, and it's, whether it's 30 seconds a day or 30 minutes a day or whatever, and sort of look within and see what's going on in there, you may be missing out on, on a lot, and you and you may be, uh, you know, never able to catch your breath. Uh, I think we forget. I mean, I like going back to. Um, I don't want to forget to talk about my favorite topic or one of mine, which is the meaning of life. I'll tell you what I think the meaning of life is. The meaning of life is to live. That's right. the meaning of life. The meaning of life is to live. This is the meaning right here. There's nothing better than it. And the well, I something- yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I I was just going to say, and the whole idea is to live is to live the best we can, and and right. and to continue living. So, I so that's that's where it it ends for me, um, and, that, and that's why all of this stuff is so important because we're talking about living a better life, controlling the life that that we have. Well, and what I want to say too that I think is so important, and I think people maybe misunderstand about stillness is that it's a quality that you carry within you. You know, it's, you can be the busiest person in the world, but within yourself, you're perfectly still. And you can develop that stillness through these, uh, through these ideas we're talking about, meditation, going within, allowing. You cultivate that stillness. But even more than that, and this is a quote from Eckhart Tolle, he says, your innermost sense of self is inseparable from stillness. I mean, that's what we are, that stillness, that's, that's the center of us. So when you get in touch with that, you can be, you know, you can be a, 
an executive, you can be a you can be the busiest person in the world, but you still maintain that quality of stillness within you, and that's so important. I love there's a quote by Kafka that I think just is perfect for this. He says, "You don't need to leave your room. Remain sitting at your table and listen. Don't even listen. Simply wait. Don't even wait. Be quite still and solitary." The world will freely offer itself up to you to be unmasked. It has no choice. It will roll in ecstasy at your feet. So when you develop that quality of stillness, all of the things that you need, all of the things that you want to live in a, you require to live an abundant and successful life come to you anyway because you've removed all of the obstacles. You've removed all of the mental chatter and the faulty belief systems. Yes. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think that's really good, and I and I do think uh, the fact that we have some of the leading thinkers, writers going down this path and 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 saying the same thing is encouraging for is encouraging because it shows that we're just not off in some kind of wild frolic and detour. Now, you also say something about about humility that I want to touch upon before we close here. You talk about the importance of humility. Which we, which many folks uh, view as not a good thing, because right. over because confidence is so close to arrogance, and and we don't we don't have enough humility. But why don't why don't you talk about why you think humility fits in here too as being an important feature? Well, to me, humility is so important because it helps you to be happier. It's not about the people around you. And, and it goes back to the same thing, that when you're, when you're humble, you recognize that this personality that you're walking through life with is not, all, is not the entire picture. That's not who you are. That's just a persona that you can put on and take off. And that persona is the thing that gets hurt. That persona is the thing that gets angry and feels threatened. You know, when you are really in touch with your infinite nature, I mean, we're, you know, we're part of this infinite intelligence, this universal mind. We're, we're incredibly powerful beings, but we forget that because we get lost in the dream of the ego. So humility is, is that same thing we've been talking about, shifting away from that perspective and understanding that there's, a, there's more out there than just that. And when you are in that space, I talk about in the book, you know, this big argument I had with my husband, and he was saying really hurtful things to me, but <laughs> I didn't even, it didn't even touch me, you know, I, I just saw him as someone who was in pain and, and was lashing out and, and needed more love, you know, it's, it's incredible when you can flip into that space how things that would normally feel so hurtful are like nothing, they're like little feathers floating by, it's, it's really profound, and it, it changes your life. Yeah, that is that is really that is that's really good from both from both sides, Sarah, because the notion of humility is I think extremely important because too many of us get wrapped up into our own egos, our own and and we sort of grade our own success or rate our own happiness by how much we personally achieve and when we don't achieve it, you know, we tend to blame other people. Uh, we tend to project failure upon circumstances, and it really is not a—it's not a healthy thing to do. It's, it's to me, and I—and this is something where experience teaches you that it's not a healthy thing to do. It's better—it's better just to be humble and admit failure, move on. Uh, your the example you talk about your husband, I thought was really a mature 
uh, statement because many of us, when faced with an argument, when faced with objections from a loved one, a spouse, a girlfriend, a wife, a, a friend, whatever, a co-worker, we tend to confront, but the the fact of the matter is is that most of most of it is a passing you know a sort of a passing emotion that has to be released and it takes courage and it takes maturity i think to see that for what it is it so take courage for sure <laughs> so uh, and I, I thought i thought that was really good well we've we've reached the end of the road here and we've sort of gone on our own little journey in and out of these in and out of these um these lessons and these experiences that you've had and for those who need who would like to read about a real healing journey in a very uh, readable um, understandable uh, way uh, Sarah's book The Healing Curve uh, is, is published by Rainbow Ridge right it's available on Amazon and elsewhere I assume Sarah yep, is that right? that's fair. and you know, it's 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 encouraging uh, to me. There is truth in in realness, and to have somebody write about you know their own journey in some in their own story in many ways is more compelling than just hearing about it from the scientist or maybe even the uh, the spiritualist. I I do think that at the end of the day, it, it, um, real healing does take a village. And I and I and I do think that the more, uh, the bigger the critical mass that we have, sort of supporting this way of thinking, this this think this all these things that that we have focused on, the humility, the release, the the stillness, the the quiet times, the the looking within, the awakening, all these things we're talking about as as I. As that permeates our society, and I hope it does, our mindset, I think that we we start seeing the power uh, in this in this way of viewing things. So, Sarah, thank you very much for your time. I've enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. It's been a great time. And uh, I wish you I wish you the best of luck in your continued journey. And I I really compliment you on on writing a very clear and and readable book on. Uh, on these con on these concepts, and I hope that other folks uh, have the opportunity to pick it up and to try their own luck at this alternate way of looking at things that hopefully in the future will be mainstream. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Meriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com.